Morning everyone, our reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, it's great to hear such wonderful words from Scripture, isn't it? And we'll have an opportunity to reflect on those uh, uh, this morning. Uh, Please just uh, take out your book, uh, your new sheet that you got and just open it up to the middle. Uh, If you don't have one, it's probably really uh, helpful if you you get one. So they're just out in the foyer um, and that will get some... Now, as you'll see under the passage in your booklet, there's a whole bunch of words. Uh, they're all meant to, some of them are in funky fonts. They're all meant to be, but some of them didn't translate over to various computers. So there you go. What the words are there for are for you to reflect on your spiritual life, your walk with God. And so have a look at those words and maybe spend a few moments thinking and reflecting. Uh, which ones do you identify with in terms of your spiritual life. Uh, no right or wrong answers here. Uh, which reflect your spiritual experience? And if, you, if there isn't a word that you relate to, maybe you could just write your own word in there. So spend a few moments doing that. Well, uh, if that's something that you want to spend more, some more time on, maybe you could take this away with you and do that. Uh, there's no right or wrong answer. Indeed, you may experience all of them at some point in your life. But as we try and make sense of our spiritual experience, I think there's a danger. Uh, Our Christian culture has various measures of what the true, the healthy, the vital spiritual life looks like and measures that we take on either explicitly or implicitly. Our feelings, one is our feelings. How close, how intimate do we feel with God that can be something we think is a measure of the vitality of our spiritual lives. Another is uh, whether we have a disciplined devotional life, whether we have a regular Bible reading and uh, prayer time. That's key to intimacy with God and it's key to having a a rich spiritual life. Uh, We make sure we get up every morning and have those quiet times with God. Well, we hear that uh, taught uh, and exhorted. We uh, see it exemplified in the lives of the great ones. And it can be inspiring, right? 
But then sometimes reality sets in. Try as we might, uh, our lives fail uh, to match up to those examples or that teaching. We don't pray three hours a day like Martin Luther did, or at least I don't. And so these examples and this teaching, uh, instead of being inspiring, they actually turn into a rod that we beat ourselves with to show that we're such hopeless Christians because we can't live up to that example. And so we're in this state where we're either berating ourselves or we're just giving up. And so we kind of live in this contradiction. We think, yes, we should read our Bible regularly, we should feel like this, but that's not the case in our lives and we don't do it. And we can live in this tension for years, right? But ultimately it's unsustainable and it's destructive. Something has got to give. And often it's how we perceive our relationship with God. Instead of being about joy and freedom, it becomes about guilt and legalism and failure. And the only people who can live the authentic uh, Christian life are the strong-willed. How incredibly sad that is that we would think only strong-willed people can be Christians. How far away from the gospel and the heart of God is that? So there's some questions I want us to kind of reflect on over the course of this series. What should we expect from our Christian spiritual experience? What part do we play in it? What's the place of Bible reading and prayer? What does true spiritual discipline look like? You see, it's important we get our expectations right, right? Come on. You see, if we don't get our expectations right, we're bound to be disheartened and disappointed. We're hoping for one thing but experiencing another, perhaps even thinking that something has gone terribly wrong if our expectations and our experiences don't match up. So we've got to get our expectations right. So what should we expect? And so to get real clarity on these sorts of questions, we need to turn first not to Christian culture, but to the Gospel. And I think God's Gospel reveals these three profound truths about our spiritual lives. Firstly, in Christ we are already deeply loved, more than we can ever know. So spirituality is not something that we do to earn God's favour. Second, in Christ we are already spiritual. Spirituality is not something that we attain. All Christians are spiritual because we have the Holy Spirit. Second thing. Third, Christian spirituality is less about specific practices or tangible emotional experiences and primarily about conformity to Christ. That's what the Spirit is doing in us. So we're going to spend our time uh, today dwelling on these three uh, spiritual truths. But first we're going to turn uh, to the passage that we heard uh, read before. So have that in front of you. It's a thrilling, thrilling passage. Uh, But let me draw your attention to four remarkable things. Number one, 
as we sung, God is for us, verse 31. No matter who or what is against us, God is for us. And we need to keep hearing that. If we are in Christ, then God is for us, no matter what we feel or what we face. And in the end, he will overwhelm and and overcome any opposition. God is for us. But how can I be sure that he's for me? Well, number two, he's given us everything. He's given us everything, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God's given us Jesus. That's how much he's for you. And if he's already done that, he's going to give us everything, including glory. Uh, This is how Paul describes it earlier in the chapter in verses 14 to 17. By God's grace, we've been adopted as God's children. You can see it there, highlighted in yellow. That means we're going to inherit all that God has promised, including a share in Jesus' glory at the end there. And the mark, the proof, the guarantee that that's going to happen, that we will share in God's glory, that we will have everything that God has given us, is the, is the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. And we know from elsewhere in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit enables faith in Christ. It empowers us to live uh, the life that we're called to in him. Uh, in Romans 8, Christians are described as being in the Spirit, having the Spirit, all Christians. So if you are a Christian, you're not trying to be spiritual. You're not sometimes spiritual. You are spiritual because in Christ you have the Spirit. And so all of your life is spiritual. So spirituality then is not something that Christians need to strive for or to attain As a Christian, you're already spiritual because you have the Spirit and the Spirit is in you. Look at how Paul opens his letter to the Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing. Everyone. And notice what the blessings are. Ah, they're not kind of next level experiences. They're adoption, redemption, forgiveness. So there aren't any levels or castes or tiers to Christianity. No in crowd and out crowd. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. And you have every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. And so God really has given us everything. His Son, His Spirit, and a share in glory. Number two, He's given us everything. And number three, He's justified us. By grace through faith, verses 33 and 34, God has justified us. To be justified uh, by God means to be declared righteous, in right standing with him. And so if you are in Christ, you are now guilt-free and blameless. 
That includes forgiveness, but it's more than that. It's to have the charges removed, to be acquitted, to be declared not guilty. And that's a stunning, stunning truth because the truth is we all deserve the guilty verdict. But the Gospel says because of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection, God declares those who put their day-to-day trust in Jesus not guilty. And it's not a, a verdict, a declaration based on my performance. It's not a declaration I deserve. It's a gift. God's kindness, his grace. This is what Martin Luther said. He said, sinners are beautiful because they are loved. They are not loved because they are beautiful. And so, as Paul says here in verse 34, if we are justified, if we have truly been declared not guilty, then no one can condemn us. No one. God doesn't condemn us. Indeed, Jesus right now is interceding for us before the Father in heaven. God doesn't condemn us and if God is not going to condemn me, well then, nobody else can either. And even more, I shouldn't condemn myself. Have you ever felt like a failure before God? I'm a hopeless Christian. How can God look at me and be anything but angry? That's the right place for self-reflection and godly sorrow in our Christian lives. We should never stop caring about sin. But sometimes it can crush us and paralyse us. And that, brothers and sisters, is a trap of the devil. He wants us feeling crushed by the weight of our own sin when Jesus has already taken it away. He wants you to hide from God in your guilt. He wants you to grind to a halt because you think it's just all too hard. But in the Gospel there's freedom, the freedom that comes from knowing that even if I fail, God freely and lovingly, joyfully forgives me in Christ. And no matter how many times that I fall, this uh, not guilty declaration remains over me as I continue in repentance and faith. Well, how wonderful, how kind God has been to us in Jesus. But why? Why has he been like this? Number four, because he loves us. That's what he says in verses 34 to 38, to 39, sorry. You see, God doesn't declare us not guilty begrudgingly, kind of annoyed that he had to send Jesus to make it happen. He's done all these things because he loves us and because he loves you. And God will never stop loving us for nothing in all, crea- in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He'll never stop loving you. And if that's true, if nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, if that's true, then my sin, my feelings and my dodgy quiet times can't either. I'm not sure what description of your spiritual life resonated with you most. 
But whatever our feelings, our experience tell us, the truth proclaimed in the gospel is that you are profoundly loved more than you could ever, ever, ever know. Not in some vain hope that you'll make yourself worthy, but as we are, compromised, weak, burdened. I have photos of my kids on my phone, on my desk, and I can show you this because none of them are here this morning. They're the oldest two are on youth camp. And when I look at them, no matter what they've done that day, and you know, some days, uh, my heart bursts with love. What do you think God thinks when he, what do you think he thinks and feels when he looks at you? Love. There's no need to doubt. There's no need to speculate on the answer to that question because he's already shown you. He sent Jesus. Look what he's promised. He loves you. Sisters and brothers, it's so important that we're deeply anchored and rooted in these truths so that we aren't deceived by our feelings and our experience. Sometimes we may feel full of the joy of the Lord and other times we might feel like he's left the building. He's not here. But the reality is my relationship with God, my standing with God in Christ is as good as it gets. That's not to say that feelings or experience is irrelevant. No, it's not to say that. But what it is so important is it's, it's crucial that we let God's word inform, inform our experience rather than letting our feelings squeeze out what God says to us. Okay? Is there something more? Is there something more to be experienced, a deeper relationship with God to be had? Well, yes, of course there is. It's This is not always as good as it gets, even in this life. But the answer isn't some different type of spiritual or emotional experience. We may have those, right? We may have an extraordinary experience. But the deeper experience that we're encouraged to is to seek a deeper trust, a deeper knowledge of God's love, a more secure and empowering hope. Look at what Paul prays for the churches. Have a look at that during this week. That's what he prays, a deeper love of God, a deeper trust, a deeper hope. And we cultivate that trust, that hope and love in different ways but primarily in relationship with God through the truth of the gospel, his word and through prayer. We're going to look at those two things over the coming weeks. And as we do turn to God's word, we see that God's goal for us isn't more intense feelings, extraordinary spiritual experiences or a disciplined devotional routine. I'm not saying that they won't form part of our Christian lives or that we shouldn't seek them. Indeed, if you look at the scriptures, there are moments of intense uh, relational intimacy, extraordinary spiritual experiences described by the New Testament, but I don't think they're the goal, you see. 
And if you make them the goal, you're not only missing the point, you, you end up being disappointed and disillusioned when you don't have some of those things, if that's what you're aiming for. You see, God's spiritual goal for each of us is actually set out earlier, just before this passage, in Romans 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to what? What's the destiny? To be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And other places in the New Testament will say the same thing. That's what God is doing in us. His destiny for us, his goal for us is to become like Jesus. That's what he's doing. And there's lots of things that are working against that goal. The Bible tells us that the whole world is under the power of Satan, the evil one, and that the world is exerting pressure on us to conform to it instead of Jesus, to conform to its uh, uh, desires, uh, to, to find our security, our satisfaction, our fulfilment in the world. But God has chosen and predestined us to be conformed to Jesus. Well, what does that conformity look like? It's conformity to Christ's character. That's the Spirit's work in us in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Conformity to Christ's character. Conformity to his convictions. Love for God. Love for truth. Hatred of falsehood and injustice. And it's conformity to Christ's concerns, seeking God's kingdom first, loving others over self. And I could go on, right? But this is God's spiritual goal for you. And conformity to Jesus doesn't happen in the abstract, in a kind of philosophical debate. It happens, it's worked out in everyday life with my family, in our church relationships, at dinner with friends, in our work meetings, on Zoom, in our social media, getting the kids off to school. That's where conformity to Christ is worked out and lived. Everyday life. And as those who are in Christ, we strive no longer to live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, in conformity to Christ. That's the Spirit's work in us. So, sisters and brothers, how are you living? How are you living? So, let me just summarise. In Christ, we are deeply loved, more than we can ever know. Spirituality is not something that we do to earn God's favour. Two, in Christ we are already spiritual. Spirituality is not something that we set out to attain as a Christian. We already have the Holy Spirit. And I hope that's good news. I hope you find that good. I hope it gives you a sense of relief. Maybe you've been feeling guilt over not having a regular quiet time. Maybe you've been feeling just confused and guilty because you don't have a sense of feeling spiritual. The gospel of Jesus is good news. God loves you. He's done what we could never do in Christ. You are spiritual. You're able to walk like Jesus in Christ because you have 
the Spirit dwelling in you. Three, authentic spirituality is primarily about conformity to Christ. And that's very practical. It's about putting off the ways of the world and living in accordance with his Spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit is conforming us to Christ's image. It's more about letting God's word shape your character and your convictions and your concerns than getting through the Bible in a year. Though it's good to get through the Bible in a year. It's more about cultivating prayerfulness rather than making sure you get up early at 5am every morning to pray for an hour. It's more about actually living out what Jesus teaches than knowing the answers to tricky Bible questions. It's more about being kind and gentle and generous than maximising those moments of intense feelings towards God. It's about conforming to the image of Jesus as you move through each day, each week, each year, in every part of our lives. So I just wanted to finish today on sort of working some of those ideas out. Ideas on how to grow in conformity to Jesus. Uh, If you're in a connect group, you might want to dig a bit deeper and extend some of this discussion uh, in your studies that are on the same topic. But firstly, conformity to Jesus is a work of the Spirit through God's Word and prayer. And we'll talk more about those things uh, in the next coming weeks. And another thing uh, that the New Testament says uh, is really important if we're going to conform to Jesus Uh, is training, pumping some iron. Paul's advice to Timothy, train yourself in godliness. For while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. Spiritual training, that'll help us grow in godliness. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Uh, There's an author called John Ortberg. You might have heard of him. He's written a few really helpful books and this is one of his books, The Life You've Always Wanted. It's about uh, spiritual disciplines, reflecting on this idea of training for the spiritual life as we seek to conform our lives to Jesus. And he has uh, lots of simple ideas. If loving people takes energy and you're too tired to do it, well, you need to practice the spiritual discipline of getting more sleep. Uh, if you lack joy, then maybe you need to practice the spiritual discipline of celebration, celebrating God's goodness uh, in the different aspects of your life. Maybe there's a really lovely meal that you like, uh, music that just kind of moves your soul. And as you do these things, reflect on what a good and gracious God we have. Give him thanks. Enjoy him. Do you want to cultivate patience? Uh, Adele Albert Calhoun suggests uh, intentionally placing ourselves in situations that help us practice patience. (laughs) When you're at the supermarket, choose the longest line. (laughs) I think we need to grow in this area, judging by the laughing. Get your kids to help you with cooking. Try the spiritual discipline of driving in the slow lane and not overtaking. 
Now, it's not that Jesus would drive in the slow lane necessarily, but what Jesus was was patient, right? Very patient. And by choosing to drive in the slow lane, you might train yourself in patience. That's the goal. And when you learn what it takes to be patient in the small things, will you train yourself for the key moments where you really need to be patient? When you need to be patient with a brother or sister at church, with one of your family, with that kind of obnoxious person at work, or as you wait on God to answer your prayers. Do you want to be more other person centred? Perhaps you could practice the spiritual discipline of listening. Uh, we like to talk, we like to hear our own voices, express our own opinions. We default to making interactions with other people about us. Perhaps you can practice the spiritual discipline of consciously listening to people in conversations, finding out about them, asking them questions. That will help you be a more other person-centred person in the rest of your life. Maybe you want to grow in generosity. Perhaps you could try the spiritual discipline of doubling your giving for a month. It doesn't have to be at church, but that would be okay. (laughs) Do it as a challenge, but with the greater goal of cultivating generosity in your life. And maybe... uh, After doing it for a month, as it turns out, you probably didn't need that money after all. And then maybe you could try doubling it again. Some of these steps, they might feel too far away, which is why we need to go into training. And bear in mind that the spirit who's at work in us can do far more than we could ask or imagine. Don't sell God short. He can do amazing things in us. But you have to train. What can you do this week to start training? What can you do? And if you need to start small, well, start small. But start. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Don't let the fact that it feels too big mean that you don't do anything. You can see how uh, this kind of view of the spiritual life gives us a bigger picture of what a rich spiritual life looks like. It's not just about extraordinary feelings or experiences or a daily quiet time. It's about daily training of our spiritual muscles as we grow into the likeness of Jesus one workout session at a time. How about I lead us in prayer? Loving Father God, thank you so much for your extraordinary grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, for everything, for every spiritual blessing. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work in us, reminding us, guaranteeing that we're God's children, conforming us to the image of Jesus. Father God, as we go out today, help us rest in the gospel, confident in your love, and Father, help us to engage in that work of spiritual training as you conform us to the Lord Jesus. Amen.